might be a Viking or a Saxon or a Roman, but tell me, do you like them? Would you sex them? Would you bone them? Would you go to bed with King Ethelred? Would you bunk William the Conqueror up in the sheets with Samuel Pepys? Mussolini was a meanie, led a fascist insurrection, but does he make you creamy? Does he give you an erection? Would you pork Richard the Duke of York? Does a boner start when you think of Bonaparte? Are you sexually aroused at the thought of Pol Pot? Historical hot or not? Hello and welcome to Historical Hot or Not, the only history podcast that looks at the life and times of history's most celebrated figures and asks, yes, but would you? It's the pod parchment that puts the ho in ho dynasty, the ass in Aztec, the bone and the pole in Napoleon Bonaparte. I am your co-host Aidan McCaffrey, I am not a historian, and this is... Catherine Mather, who is also not a historian. But we are comedians and we are horny for history. Fact. Kath, your boyfriend cheats on you. Do you empty his belongings onto the lawn, or do you empty his body of life by beheading him for treason? Uh, is both an option? Yes. Then both. Which order? Well, he'd need to see his stuff on the lawn, wouldn't he? Yeah, well, unless that thing's true. You know they say if you behead someone, your head stays alive and conscious for, like, ten seconds. Mm-hmm. But you'd have to time it so well. Yeah, that'd be like, really <laughs> stressful, wouldn't it, actually? You're literally there at the window with his suitcase with his clothes in. And you're like, go, they chop it off, head rolls, you start emptying so you can you can see, like, this is what you get when you're wrong the math. <laughs> what happens if his head rolls and lands the opposite way? All of that work for nothing. You'd have to have someone on standby to just, like, pop it round. Like, oh, let's get your face in the right way, Steve. <laughs> that is a lot of people to ask. Uh, to be an accessory to murder. In this circumstance, you are an absolute monarch and you're allowed to get away with this. Oh, God, I would be, you know, just taking people down left, right and centre. Historical hot or not? Do you want to see who I'm setting you up with, Kath? Yeah, so I the, the premise that we keep forgetting to tell people about True. the premise of this podcast we just chat and then and then we fuck we fuck it up real bad don't we Eden? we but... do i mean this is an arrogance to doing to to once saying what this the premise is and then going they've got it yeah like just everyone's going to start listening in episode one you know yeah. hopefully we'll be picking people up along the way and they need to know what's going on also if you've not uh listened from the beginning you can absolutely suck a dick <laughs> Stop listening now, get back to the first episode and listen to them all. Commit, I hate you. Um, I don't. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you, Greg. We need this. We need this so badly. Mm, We really do. Listen to one, two, three, four, as many as you want. Don't even listen. Just download it and give us the hit, honestly. Mm, We're happy. Just give us a five-star review. It's fine. Don't worry. Um, So the premise of the podcast is that I will sometimes uh, bring Aidan... Uh, historical figures and he will decide uh, whether he would like to fuck them and then on the times that I'm not doing that Aidan will bring me historical figures and I'll decide whether I would fuck them Uh, and we have a a fictional dating app it's called eTrust which is where we find these people Uh, and if if we will fuck them which sometimes we will uh, they end up on the Bayo Tap Latter Street. That was beautiful, Kath. I think you should do the description of the premise in future. 
sure I will. Can we just copy and paste that into all of the episodes so we don't have to keep doing it? Yeah, and it won't sound crude at all as a sort of sonic uh, ambient <laughs> shift. Kath, if you'd like to open your e-trove app and yep. check out the profile picture that I am sending you. Okay. Do you want to describe what you're seeing and whether you're on board so far? I'd say I am. He it's it's not a photograph. It is a drawing, so I imagine he's very old. Uh, but he looks quite young. I would say he looks to be in his 30s in this picture. He's got dark curly hair, quite closely cropped. I like that. A widow's peak, as they call it. He looks to be wearing a, a red smoking jacket, which is not the sign of a classy person. I would say, like, if someone came to a date wearing a smoking jacket, it would be a turn-off. At the time of this man's life, which was the early 19th century, mm-hmm. maybe a smoking jacket was seen as being distinguished. Whereas mm-hmm. now, if I showed up to a date in a smoking jacket, I'm just screaming two words, Hugh Hefner. Yeah. And that doesn't feel classy. Now a smoking jacket suggests I'm surrounded by plastic-titted women. Mm-hmm. But back in this time, you know, I think it seemed debonair, I guess. Yeah, and you can tell that he's wealthy because he looks to have four pearls and possibly a ruby around his neck which again if somebody turned up uh two spoons in that i'd be like well we're definitely getting robbed on the way home why on earth would you do that (laughs) but again at the time i imagine uh was was good his collar is open so it must be like dressed down friday or something but yeah he's quite hot so far i would i say a modern day one would scream hugh hefner He's reading this, but we can't see what he's reading. For all we know, he's reading Playboy. But also, he's holding some papers, like he's just torn pages out of a book. Maybe that's how you read at the time. Once you finish reading the page, you just tear <laughs> it out. I've it's done that bit... one. <laughs> I want to be the only person to, to have read all of the twist. Text. God. <laughs> Books were a single-use item. <laughs> there was a big island in the, in the Atlantic called uh, Literature Island. It's just all the... Uh, <laughs> All the uh, torn out bits of books just collecting in one big oceanic heap. (laughs) So I won't say his full name yet. This is George. He is 36 and he's from London. And he was born on the 22nd of January 1788 on Hull Street in London, England. His birthplace is now supposedly occupied by a branch of the department store, John Lewis. Oh. He was born there. And now you can buy overpriced prams there. Mm -hmm. There's a bit of poetry there. And poetry is about to become very significant in this mm-hmm. person's life. His dad seemed uh, his dad seemingly married his mother for her fortune and used that to pay off his debts. And then he left her with an annual income of only £150, which is about 16 k per annum now, uh, a.k.a. sweet fuck all. Not enough to live in John Lewis in London. His dad died when he was a child and he inherited a Newstead Abbey and became, as a child, the sixth Baron Byron of Rochdale. Basically, the plot of Richie Rich is his childhood. He no doubt had a McDonald's and a bowling alley in his lounge and all the other gaudy shit Macaulay Culkin bought for himself in that film. Baron Byron is the poet, the womanizer. He is Lord Byron. That's who I'm trying to set you up on a date with, Kath. Goodness me, so he must have been riddled with disease. I'm not sure. Okay. As we'll discover later on when we get into the sort of Lothario aspect of his life, he doesn't seem to have suffered from that. So maybe he just, like, was classy with who he picked. Anyway, mm. Byron had a deformed foot. It was probably dysplasia or club foot. Don't really know. He had a bit of a hang-up about it. Poor guy. Mm, I'm out. You are, <laughs> <laughs> you are famously anti-disabled. 
Not just when it comes to dating, but just... No, just generally. <laughs> Poetry. Ridge mm. of Newark printed some of his early work uh, in the... P- uh, sorry, I'll start that sentence again. Ridge of Newark printed some of his early weekend fugitive pieces when he was only 17. Uh, these were recalled and burnt on the advice of his friend Reverend J.T. Betcher on account of its more amorous verses, particularly the poem To Mary. Um, by modern standards, To Mary doesn't seem that bad, but I did read it. It's your heaving bosoms. It's your sins practised in darkness. It's your second lovers. By modern standards, it's not like blue is the warmest colour. You know, there's no... Uh, there's no category on you porn called rhyming couplets, but this back then, yeah. you definitely would have had to have clicked on Are you sure you're 18 before reading some of this uh, <laughs> filthy Byron verse? But then he wouldn't be able to read it because he was only 17. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> and as we know, teenagers famously, famously, when it comes to that Are you sure you're 18 button, they're very honest. Can you imagine how insufferable you would be as a 17 year old? who got your <laughs> racy poetry published. Oh, God, I bet it was awful. The thing is, I can sort of relate to this, because I... Oh, this is embarrassing. It almost certainly will be, yeah. Go on. When I was 16, I wrote some prose called... Actually, I'm going to give you a bit of context before I do it. <laughs> I, I don't. I hadn't pulled a woman at this point. Mm-hmm. I hadn't kissed a woman on the lips. Mm-hmm. Meaningfully, anyway. So, yeah. so what, what I'm about to say was meant as an ironic joke. I wrote a bit of prose called The Sexual Promiscuity of Aidan McCaffrey. <laughs> <laughs> and it was meant like an ironic joke because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I didn't, I'd never pulled. And I, I, people started handing it around the school. Now, I basically nicked loads of sexual innuendo from uh, Rogers Profanosaurus. It was just stuff like purple-headed womb room, all those old jokes. Mm-hmm. And I just circulated it around the school and people thought it was hilarious. And I almost got uh, expelled for it because... Oh. It got back to the headmaster, and I got absolutely bollocked. But it made me socially like that thing. Like after mm. that, everyone knew who I was. It was like, oh yeah, Aiden, he wrote that thing. I was in a garage, a petrol station. When I was twenty-one with my brother, and he had his surname written on the side of his painting and decorating van. Mm. And the guy behind the counter went, "Are you Aiden McCaffrey?" And I went, "Yeah." And he went, "You wrote that that text." In here. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, how is this thing still coming back to me?" Anyway. I hope no copy of it ever shows up anyway. It's almost certainly trash. Okay, but if anybody listening has got a copy of it, please send it (laughs) to me. I'm pretty sure someone has, but I hope Mm -hmm. for the life of me they're not listening to this. So I can sort of relate to this. He wrote some racy, racy literature and became a legend. That's what happened to me at St. John Fisher's (laughs) Secondary School. But that's not where he became famous. I'm jumping ahead. First publication. After receiving a negative review for Hours of Idleness, a collection of poems, he wrote English Bards and Scotch Reviews, which, although published anonymously, everyone knew it was him. And then it became like this mark of prestige to, to be insulted by Byron's pen. Which is quite funny. He basically sort of becomes like the 19th century Jeff Ross, the American <laughs> king of roast comedy. Everyone wants him to have a have a go at them. Yeah. Do me, Byron. Insult me. <laughs> Call me a cunt. Exactly. Like when you see those videos of people who've gone to uh, Jimmy Carr gigs, specifically to heckle him, and okay. specifically so he'll like make some long-winded insult about their mum. Yeah. That's the position Byron's in at this point. He invented it. I do wonder if they had roasts back then. Like, it, like, you know, the Theatre Royal Roast of William Pitt. Something like that would be quite good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then Byron could be the roast master. I wrote some hypothetical gags he could have delivered against Pitt. William Pitt is so posh, his silver spoons have silver spoons in their mouth. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> You're not impressed at all. I've got one more. 
And I'm going to say it anyway, despite your disinterestedness. Okay, go on. William Pitt is so annoying, King George pretended to be mad just to avoid his calls. <laughs> King George was mad, though, wasn't he? No, that's the joke. He's saying he's just pretending to be mad to avoid okay. Pitt. Got you. All right, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if you think those jokes aren't funny, audience, bear in mind, I did recently do the uh, Bill Murray, the roast battle, and uh, I went out in the first round, which is why those gags weren't very good. Yeah. Happy, though. Boom, all the way to the final. And then went out in the first round to the final. Yeah, but still. You did very well, Catherine. Yeah, well, I, was just, well I was just glad to be there and for it to be over. <laughs> I've always thought I'm thick-skinned, but I think I'm not, actually. Because actually, the last couple of times I've done a roast, I've actually come out of it a little bit like, ooh. Once because they picked on something I didn't know about myself, that really stuck in my brain. <laughs> Which was, they said, uh, Aiden's head's too big for his body. Like he, he has dwarfism or something. And I never knew that about me. Mm-hmm. He actually made much worse jokes about me. He literally joked about the suicide of, of a family member. <laughs> and that bugged me less than like, you mean I've got a big head? Oh, well, I hope you're working through it. I am working through it. Are you yeah. th- are you thin-skinned and, and roast battles, calf? No, no, I don't mind them. I just find it very stressful because you get given maybe a week to write yes. five jokes. And typically what one does uh, with a joke is uh, you try it out at places before the big the big night. But you can't do that with a roast battle. I couldn't hold up a photo of you. No, uh-huh. I'm going to make some jokes about this. Catherine Mathers, so northern, blah, blah, blah. They'd just be like, why are you going to town on this poor girl? She's not even here. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, so I find that quite stressful, particularly with the roast battle final uh, of that yeah. competition where you had 11 potential opponents that you had to have at least three jokes written for and a week to prepare for that. I would totally have a nervous breakdown if I did that. Yeah, I, I did. I did. <laughs> so... <laughs> The other thing that I was thin-skinned about uh, roast battle was I sort of always forget you roast each other. Yeah. And then you sort of then get roasted again by the judges. Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten about that. And then yeah. one of the judges was like really laying into me. And I actually was like, oh, hang on. I had not emotionally prepared. <laughs> and also they're, they're professionals as well. So it really stings. Yeah. You've got four people just slagging you off. I know. And you don't really get paid either. I might uh, give it a rest for a bit. Mm-hmm. Especially after those uh, William Pitt zingers didn't land a few moments ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, from 1809 to 1811, Byron went on the Grand Tour. Now, this is not to be confused with the Top Gear spin-off, The Grand Tour, no. with Jeremy Clarkson. You know, Byron wasn't recreating battleships using dynamite and old Vauxhall courses. No, no, no. The Oxford Languages describes the Grand Tour as a cultural tour of Europe formally undertaken, especially in the 18th century, by a young man of the upper classes as part of his education. Basically, there's no internet back then. What? I know. In 1809, you couldn't send an email. Fucking hell. So how did you send an email then? You had to, like, type up the email on your laptop, print it off, Uh give it to a bird, (laughs) Mm. and then they'd fly off to a fax machine. Yeah. And then they'd fax it to Europe or wherever it is you want to send it to. Oh, that's so long-winded. The Grand Tour was, because there was no internet, it was your only chance to see, like, lots of art. It was actually your only chance to hear certain music in some ways. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you go to Vienna and hear Beethoven or, or, or Mozart, it was Mozart that was in Vienna, right? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to the Mozart hot. episode later. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was your only chance to hear all this stuff. Uh, because the Napoleonic Wars were raging at this time, 
uh, all bio and had to stick to the med. Oh, no. Yeah, and I have wondered if, like, like, a lot of my office colleagues, they always go to the med on holiday. Like, they're not mm. very imaginative. And I've sometimes wondered, is that why they're going? Do they think that the Napoleonic Wars is still raging? Yeah. Are they like, we can't go to Berlin. Napoleon has invaded Prussia again. Cavos it is. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess he'd have had to have got a direct flight there, wouldn't he, to um, avoid all of the war. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't connect via Brussels, not when uh, Bonaparte's on the march. Have you ever been to Cavos? I haven't, no. It's the worst place I've ever been in my life. <laughs> I went on an 1830 holiday when I was 18. Mm-hmm. The only aspect of the holiday I enjoyed was like playing cards in the afternoon and dicking about with my mates. Mm-hmm. When it got to the evening and you you all had to, mm. by Cavos law, go out and get smashed. Yeah. It was awful. I liked getting I liked getting smashed, but we went for two weeks. Oh <laughs> Absolutely. My God. Oh I know, I know. Two weeks in Cavos. No culture, no museum. There's no Cavos historical museum. <laughs> And if there is, it would just be bars that had closed down in the 90s. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's all it is. It's just a street of nothing. It's just a street of bars, clubs, and meat restaurants. And I was there for two goddamn weeks. Oh, my God. Was it like the Inbetweeners movie? I wish it was. I, I genuinely <laughs> think it was worse than that. Oh. And no one no one like got chased by a poo on a water slide. But only because there was no water slide park there. If there yeah. was a water slide park there... I probably would have rated it a bit higher. Mm. Anyway. Byron finally became famous after publishing Child Howell's Pilgrimage in 1812. According to Jerome McGann, a Byron scholar, he was sought after at every society venue, elected to several exclusive clubs, and frequented the most fashionable London drawing rooms. Do you want to hear a bit of Child Howell's Pilgrimage? Yeah, let's do it. So far, you seem on board with Byron. Mm, yeah, yeah. As a sexual partner, poetry might really seal the deal. Anyway, Child Howell's was he height, but whence his name and lineage long, it suits me not to say. Suffice it that perchance they were of fame and had been glorious in another day. But one sad lossal soils a name for I, however mighty in the olden time, nor all that heralds rake from coffin to clay, nor florid prose, nor honeyed lines of rhyme can blazon evil deeds or consecrate a crime. You know, with olden day poetry... Black and white poetry, yeah. Yeah. I, like... I understand all of the words individually, <laughs> but just, it's like, I try, I really try to understand it and engage with it, but it, it's just like television static. I, I don't understand what he's saying, I don't understand <laughs> what he means, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't care enough to find out. I like the idea of you saying all this to Byron, <laughs> just as he's just, he's just read his, his most famous work to you and you're like... It's like static, man. <laughs> Absolutely not interested. I don't care, but you are hot, so <laughs> you know. But I also think that if I was to date a poet now, I would. It'd be the same. I quite like spoken word stuff, but that, that's almost closer to rap, like yeah. Kate Tempest or Scroobius Pip. I guess they're the. God, that sounds like such a cliche. Uh, did you know Eminem? He's kind of like the modern day Wordsworth. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, but there is a sort of weird truth in that. Uh, where if it's just like a little poem, it just feels like you haven't tried, mate. It's just a mm. little four line poem. Well, I was going to read lots of poems to you, but you clearly got absolutely no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I mean... it's fine. You can do. I'm just saying I won't understand <laughs> if you could think... translate it afterwards. Oh, well, that, that that last one. It's about someone who's actually born into quite a posh family, a, a family that historically were quite well to do. Hence, whence his name and lineage long, mm. and all that kind of stuff. 
But one sad loss all, someone of ill repute, that one person has soiled the entire name forever. Oh, man. So a bit like if you, Matha, mm. I don't know, graffitied uh, the lion in Trafalgar Square, and then the Matha name is soiled for all time. That's I basically see. what it's saying. I love how posh people are like, well, I come from a, a strong, long lineage, as though we didn't have family. Like, oh, I just appeared here. My <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my family does not go way back. But <laughs> like, they just think that poor people are sort of pulled out of the soil like those mm. orcs in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I like about the next poem is he clearly had a goth phase because he has a poem that's just called Darkness. <laughs> I swear, when I was 17, I wrote a poem that was just called Darkness. Oh, God, I think I did as well. <laughs> yeah, and as a result, I think we'll both relate to this. Uh, uh-huh. I had a dream which was not all a dream the bright sun was extinguished and the stars did wander darkling in the eternal space rayless and pathless and the icy earth swung blind and blackening in the moonless air morn came and went and came but brought no day (laughs) it's so hard to imagine him writing that in his lush smoking jacket i imagine him writing that with black eyeliner, panda makeup, one of those studded collars and a My Chemical Romance t-shirt. Yeah, I from his description, I feel like I understand that one a bit better. And it sounds like he's just closed his eyes and <laughs> forgotten. Where's morning? <laughs> like a baby that's got no object permanence. Like, mm. where's everything gone? I've just turned the light off on it. It's okay. <laughs> Mummy's still here. Don't worry about it. We closed the curtains and you didn't leave the room. That's what this happened, Byron. Maybe he wrote that when he was three months old. Like, he was <laughs> full command of the English language, but incapable of figuring out what the hell was going on when the candles were <laughs> extinguished. I'll read one more poem. This is called Beppo. Tis known, at least it should be, that throughout all countries of the Catholic persuasion, some weeks before Shrove Tuesday comes about, the people take their fill of recreation and by repentance, ere they grow devout, however high their rank or low their station, with fiddling, feasting, dancing, drinking, masking, and other things which may be had for asking. Okay, so is he saying that the Catholics before Lent go fucking wild and then afterwards as well. Yeah. Okay, cool. He's just saying they're all hypocrites. They're all fucking about. Mm-hmm. I like, they're not true to the word. I like how he just put a list in there. Didn't try and make it <laughs> rhyme. I mean, I may have made it sound more like a list <laughs> with my intonation, but it, it, I know what you mean. It's like halfway through, he stops being Byron and he becomes, you know, Billy Joel. Doing something. I'm just going to do a list. Can't be bothered to write actual lyrics. He's famous. His wife coined the term Byromania to refer to the commotion that had surrounded him. While Byron first welcomed fame, he later turned away from it, going into voluntary exile in Britain. Bit like Zac Efron moving to to Australia. Yeah. In fact, did he move to Byron Bay? (laughs) That's weird. It all comes full circle. So he had a wife and was fucking around. Well, Let's get into this. Okay. Let's get into this. I was actually going to do this episode on Giacomo Casanova. Oh, that's who was mm. the first person I was going to do was. But and I did quite about an hour's work on writing like the script and stuff for it. Yeah. And, and then I hit a really horrible rape allegation. Oh, no. It, it, it just took all the air out. Like, I was a bit like, mm. there's no way Kath's going to look past that. <laughs> She's not going to be like, well... Put aside when you rape someone with a broom, and hey, I oh, think... Oh, God. Yeah, that's the thing. It's really grim. It's just a misunderstanding, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like, the broom says one thing, I say another. It was an allegation, we should say. But either way, I think it would be difficult to get past in a would-you 
situation. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I was looking at the list of Lavarios on Wikipedia. And yeah. This is the list of Lavarios that Wiki uses as examples. Okay. Tell me if you think any one of these is an odd one out. Right. Giacomo Casanova, mm-hmm. Don Juan, mm-hmm. Russell Brand. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can see it. Lord Byron, yeah. George Best, Terry Scott, and Charlie Harper. Well, I don't know who the last ones are. <laughs> Charlie Harper, who is on a list with Casanova, Don Juan, Lord Byron. Charlie mm-hmm. Harper is Charlie Sheen's character in Two and a Half Men. <laughs> <laughs> See, I never watched that. Neither did okay. I. But I was just like, why is he on this list? That would be like if on a list of famous genocides it included Thanos clicking half the universe out of existence. <laughs> the first image that comes up, he's wearing like an old man shirt. Charlie Harper? Yeah. Is he wearing a bowling shirt? Because my brother yeah. used to watch it and from what I remember he was very into bowling shirts. But I think that's mm-hmm. the thing. Because he's a Lothario, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter what he mm. wears. It's just like women want him, apparently. But the fact yeah. is, he is fictional. Mind you, I think Don Juan's also fictional. One day they won't know who Don Juan is and He'll just be displaced in culture by Charlie Harper. Oh, that's a shame. Byron is a Lavario. He has mm-hmm. an affair with Lady Caroline Lamb, who called mm-hmm. him mad, bad, and dangerous to know, which is quite yeah. funny. Mad, bad, and dangerous to know sounds like the DVD title of an African-American comedian in the 90s, I think. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Chris Rock, mad, bad, and dangerous to know. I'm sure Byron had a good hour on how uh, white people walk funny, I reckon. Mm-hmm. He was rumoured to be romantically involved. This is uh, Byron, not Chris Rock. Uh, he was rumoured to be romantically involved with his half-sister, Augusta Lay, and then he married Annabella Milbank, an English ma- mathematician, and had a baby, Ada. While all this was happening, he was having ongoing sexual escapades with an actress called Charlotte Mardin. Eventually, Annabella left him, as she considered him insane. Amid all this controversy that was surrounding, especially to do with the half-sister thing, it's bad, apparently. I remember reading about those, like this, um, I think it was in China, and what they would, families would do, because they were quite poor farming communities is uh you'd be like my daughter's gonna marry your son but they were they were infants it was a time where people didn't marry for love it was because you know you just needed people to form unions to run the farm so you could eat and not die so that's fair enough so you'd be like my my daughter's gonna marry your son so i'll send my daughter to just grow up with your family because then you look after her you can shape her into the woman that you need she'll learn how to run your farm and you know they can really get to know one another and what happened was people they didn't they weren't attracted to each other because they grew up as siblings as opposed to lovers i think the issue there is they didn't grow up together and you just meet this hot guy and it's like oh bt dubs it's it's your half brother and you're like yeah i'd still fuck him though we've only just <laughs> met or the the difference of like growing up together and playing together that's what happened so when they met he was like smoking mm-hmm. interesting bit of psychology there oh yeah so the farm thing is interesting because i always just thought of like political unions as being like I, we need to marry you into the spanish royal family so england can fend off france but you're saying mm-hmm. it was even more local on that you could just be like we've got a dairy farm they've got a wheat farm put them together we can make cheese sandwiches yeah (laughs) i know people who've got married for less than a cheese sandwich (laughs) you mean like cheese sandwiches but the cheese slices are those plastic ones the slices Mm. that you get where they're uh, named as like calcium squares because they're (laughs) legally not allowed to call it cheese byron left england because of the controversy he headed to switzerland where you guessed it he continued to crush puss 
and in some cases also cock because it turned out it was bisexual. I don't think there's any debate on this really. Obviously he couldn't be out at the time, but he had letters to um, male lovers where the shared code for a homosexual experience was established. So he wrote to Hobhouse, one of his uh, male acquaintances, I am tired of PL and OPTSES, the last thing I could be tired of. And that's an abbreviation of coitum plenum et optibilum, which uh, it means complete intercourse to one's heart's desire. And it's from Petronius's Satyricon, which does contain homosexual relationships. He had fixations with young boys, like 15-year-olds, that he appeared not to have acted on. He just seemed to give, okay. like, he'd, like, get quite into some, like, Greek page or whatever, and he'd just, like, leave them seven grand in his will. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find any evidence that he'd actually banged any of them. Well, that's okay, then. He was just in a twinks. It's okay to be a paedophile as long as you don't act on it. That's what I've always yeah. said. <laughs> Byron eventually settled at the Villa Diadati by Lake Geneva, where he befriends the poet Percy Shelley and his wife Mary Godwin, who would become... Mary Shelley, a Frankenstein fan. Exactly. <gasps> Byron banged Mary's sister, obviously. Mm-hmm. During a period of bad weather that forced more indoors, Shelley would write Frankenstein. Byron's personal physician wrote The Vampire, a progenitor of the vampire genre, and Byron wrote part of what would become Mazeppa. So basically, this is a lock-in, but it's highly productive. Not just getting (laughs) smashed and playing Cards Against Humanity. They're all writing like powerful literature that will be remembered for centuries. I'm pretty sure if we just got locked in to a house for three days, we just watched like Game of Thrones the whole time and uh, hope the rain cleared up by season six. (laughs) Byron then went to Venice and banged Mariana Sagatti and then Margarita Cogney. Both married, FYI. Of course. Around this time, he wrote his version of Don Juan, in which Don is not a womanizer, but a man easily seduced by women. (laughs) (laughs) Do you reckon that's how he saw himself? Probably. I'm not a fuck boy, I'm a fucked boy. (laughs) Big difference. It's not one of his poems. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a coincidence that I keep having sex with hundreds of women. (laughs) Around this time, he met the 18-year-old Countess Guccioli and asked her to elope with him, even though she was... 18? Married! Okay, but so was he, to be fair. That is true, actually, yeah. (laughs) They're both being dicks in this situation. Shelley visited them around this time and described his house thusly, Lord B's establishment consists, besides servants, of ten horses, eight enormous dogs, three monkeys, five cats, an eagle, a crow, a falcon, and all these, except the horses, walk around the house, which every now and then resounds with their unarbitrated quarrels, as if they were masters of it. But I've presented to you two potential historical suits as cat. One was Tom Beckett, mm-hmm. and he had a zoo too, do you remember? Yeah. This is a weird coincidence that every guy I present to you is just like... <laughs> got London Zoo in tow behind him. His house must have fucking stank. It must have stank, and it must have looked like one of those paintings you get in pubs where, like, dogs are playing pool, but it's just, like, a monkey, a cat, an eagle, <laughs> just all there, knocking the old ivory spheres around. And also, right, if you've got eight dogs, that I'm assuming that he was not caring for them with the quantity of animals that he had, not giving them his full attention, they would form a pack. <laughs> so he's not the leader of that pack anymore. So they do what the leader of the, the dog leader says. Yeah, but that, that's what Shelley said. He said, yeah. as if they were masters of the house. Mm. So then if they just decide, actually, no, we want this house for ourselves, they could just go on a killing spree and there is nothing that you could do. Right? I think what you were saying is meant to shock me. But as a cat owner, I've seen some blood spills. You know yeah. I mean? It's not uncommon to come home to a dead mouse or a dead bird in your kitchen. Mm. You're saying it's that times ten. It's like the Noah's Ark thing. How come all the animals don't slaughter each other and yeah. to, the, to the mountain? 
I would be dragging a wardrobe in front of my bedroom door if I had to spend a <laughs> night sleeping there. Does this mean you're veering towards a no on old Byron? And also, oh. I should say, he said he visited his house. Apparently, he had lots of animals in all of his houses across Europe. Oh, God. So don't, don't, don't think that you can go, I'll bang your Byron, but can we please go to your Venice shack? Because <laughs> I know that there is not apes in there. That's not going to cut it because it's going to be like, there's going to be some weird shit in that house as well. (laughs) I guess we could always just go back to mine. (laughs) I swear you've you've got three giraffes in your house though. Have I made that up? I have in my rental property. (laughs) Oh, okay. In 1823, Byron goes to Greece to help Mm -hmm. the Greek independence movement, leaving his partner who had left her husband for him. Oh, God. There's a part of me that doesn't have that much sympathy. It's like, you you know when couples get together through adultery, Mm. and that's how it ends as well. I always just think, live by the sword, die by the sword. Mm -hmm. I don't know who it is that said it. It might have been Maya Angelou. When somebody shows you who they are, believe them. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. It's not a con. Byron helped the Greek independence movement, largely with financial power. Uh, he sold his estate, Rochdale Manor, and that raised 11 grand. This led Byron to estimate he had about 20 grand, and he planned to spend it all on the Greek cause. Byron wrote to his business agent in England, I should not like to give the Greeks but half a helping hand, saying he would have wanted to spend his entire fortune on Greek freedom. Mm-hmm. Around this time, Byron adopts a nine-year-old Turkish Muslim girl called Hato, whose parents yeah. had been killed by the Greeks. Now, when I read that, knowing he was Lothario, I thought, I don't like where this is going. (laughs) Yeah. Because history is very loose, shall we say, on the old age of consent. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. But he ultimately ended up sending her to safety in Catalonia, knowing well that religious hatred between the Orthodox Greeks and Muslim Turks was running high, and that any Muslim in Greece, even a child, was in serious danger. That is hot, right? So he just saved a kid. And because she was Muslim and he knew there was, like, religious strife going on he was like i can't keep her here i've got to send her i've got to send her to an island to be safe oh well that's nice if i was done the dating scene now i would put that on my tinder bio aiden 37 saved a muslim child from racial tyranny by sending her on a package holiday to greece with jet two i would totally yeah, do that but did he send her alone or were the people meeting her there <laughs> because sending a nine-year-old away <laughs> Get on this boat. You'll be fine. Good luck. <laughs> Second island on the left, Catalonia. Do you speak the language? No? Okay, you'll learn. You're young. Watch out for the jellyfish and you'll be absolutely <laughs> fine. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume he sent her to live with yeah, someone. <laughs> I hope so. Otherwise, someone's going to dig up a, a small skeleton on the island of Catalonia. Another thing that he did that I quite liked was he, he was a lord in the House right. of Lords. And he made an impassioned speech before them in support of Catholic emancipation. Mm-hmm. Byron expressed opposition to the established religion because it was unfair to people of other faiths. That's quite yeah. cool, isn't it? Always sticking out for the little guy or mm-hmm. the little girl. There was the alleged attraction to mm-hmm. boys, but he just seemed to be quite infatuated with them and uh, just gave them yeah. money. So I mean, that's... I'm not going to hold that no, against... no, that's, that's that nice against that he him. took care of people as well, because I guess at the time, if you got sort of outed, you know properly i know there are rumors but that could be quite damaging so at least if you've got some money you're not completely fucked right although if you had like say a 15 year old sister and i just gave her seven <laughs> you would be like i don't trust anyone anymore. <laughs> that's 
a bit odd. What happened? Uh, anyway. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was also allegedly the victim of sexual abuse. This is by mm-hmm. himself. A suitor of his mother, Lord Grey de Ruthyn, made sexual advances mm-hmm. on him. He had a complicated relationship with his mother, who he called a fat drunk. Wow. I think he was called quite young when he said that. <laughs> and she called him a lame brat because of his deformed foot. Wow. So his complicated relationship with women could be down to the fact that he was uh, abused as a child and had a weird relationship with his mum and had an absent father. Mm. So he had no real strong male role model. So just started fucking about for his whole life. Yeah, a bit needy. Just needs to be liked. Thinks that sex is love. He was a strong advocate of social reform. He received particular praise as one of the few parliamentary defenders of the Luddites. People wanted to give him a death penalty for breaking frames in Nottinghamshire. He did a speech before the House of Lords in 1812. It was loaded with sarcastic references to the benefits of automation, which he saw as producing inferior material as well as putting people out of work. That's quite cool. I mean, I don't yeah. like Luddites. I just think, get with the times. Mm. They, have they seen what iPhones can do these days? They would change their tune. Again, he's sort of defending the little guy, and I quite like that. Yeah, I guess he would be the kind of person who would um, cue to use the cigarette counter in Tesco's when there's a load of empty self-service machines. Byron was a bitter opponent of Lord Elgin's removal of the Parthenon marbles from the Athens and reacted with fury when Elgin's agent gave him a tour of the Parthenon, during which he saw spaces left by the missing freezers and the totes. I did see them in the British Museum when I first came down to London. I, and this might be a controversial opinion, think that they would look better not smashed to pieces and... (laughs) brought here it'd be like if you say you stole the mona lisa and then really scratched it up on the way like you didn't <laughs> put it in a decent case just like bang it which i would i'm clumsy just banging it into doors banging it into the corners of <laughs> tables and then just like hang it up and go isn't it beautiful and it's like what is it the mona lisa and like is it is it really oh yeah i suppose i suppose if i ignore all the tears yeah if you squint and turn your head yeah sure yeah i'll, I'll just show you a photo of it on the phone actually, that's <laughs> then Byron died. What? He was planning to attack Lepanto as part of the Greek independence war, and he got cold and died. Oh. Shock twist. 1824, age 36. He's done for. 36? God. Can you imagine being dead a year? Yeah. <laughs> I'd be getting heckled less, but I'd also <laughs> be dead, so it's not a good trade-off. I think, you know, when people were dying so young of, of colds and just stuff that you wouldn't even think of now yeah i just think no wonder everyone were fucking around if i was in old age now i would live and i knew that i'd live my life so differently because you just think that you've got time but if you knew that you've got no time at all and life is brutal but that's only true of byron because actually Mm. he was seen as being controversial for his like extramarital stuff so but i do know what you mean like yeah, you, you would be right to think, I'll, I'll live my life. Yeah. Uh, but then at the same time, it's not like I'm thinking, uh, I'm living till I'm 80, I'll bang an Italian countess in my 60s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not thinking that, I'm just I'm being a faithful man. <laughs> and that's the other thing as well. I feel like with the, the wealthy people... They would just fuck around all the time, wouldn't they? You know, so you read the history books and it's like the ladies would be ruined. So I was reading a book about like Victorian women. People would rape them, which isn't on them. That's not their fault. But you'd be a like a fallen woman then. Yeah, it's not as grim, isn't it? Yeah, and you get punished for that. Whereas he goes on to do whatever. It's ruinous. Whereas you look at the, the wealthy people and they just 
Everyone's like, ugh, what's, what's he bloody like? Eh? Ugh. Oh, that scamp doing his rapes. Oh, rubbing yeah. his ha- hair with your hand. Like, yeah, run along to your bedroom, you little cheeky yeah. monkey. It, uh, I guess the double standard of society it surprises me. No, it doesn't. Whereas these days, all rapists are successfully prosecuted. So, mm, uh... Yeah, thank God we got that started out <laughs> yeah, here. Exactly. I will say he's revered in Greece. Yeah, I'll bet. It's arguable that he didn't really ultimately help unify all the factions of the pro-independence Greek, Greek forces. Mm. But the fact that he was at least trying, given yeah. the money and stuff, they love it. The statues of him there and everything. Mm. The legacy of Lord Byron. Tom Bing, the founder of Byron Burgers, said, It's cool to name a burger joint after a bisexual romantic poet. It's quirky. And although we didn't actually name it after him, there's no harm in letting people think we did. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's like, it is cool to name your, joint, your burger <laughs> joint after a bisexual, but we didn't do that. And then he adds, you can also use it to make loads of jokes like, buy one, get one free. I'm not sure if I like Tom Bing. I think he's odd. Yeah, I don't like him either. They are soon opening some sister branches. They're opening Wordsworth Wasabi, <laughs> uh, Chaucer's Chips and uh, Milton's Mac and Cheese. So, oh, lovely. Uh, something to look forward to. Shelley also described Byron as polite and cordial, full of social clarity and the most perfect good humour, never diverging into ungraceful merriment and yet keeping up the spirit of liveliness throughout the evening. Oh. So, a good laugh is what he's saying. Historical hot or not? Calf, would you go for a date at Byron Burger with Byron and then bang Byron? Yeah. Yay! He's yeah. on the Bayo Tap Latistry. He is. I wouldn't want him as a husband. It's like Shag Marry Avoid. You're not marrying him. No, no. But you're also not avoiding him. He seems troubled, but he seems troubled in a way that he probably won't make it your problem. (laughs) Because he'd leave you once he'd banged you. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) And you're perfectly okay with that. I don't want a project, but I do want some in me now. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, exactly. Uh, You don't have to have the awkward conversation. Will we see each other again? No, obviously we won't. Because halfway through you saying that sentence, the door is slamming shut. He's already gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if you did get hung up on him, he was 36 when he died. I'm sure you've had those breakups where you're like, you know what, this would be easier if he was dead because he wouldn't be keep popping up on my Facebook timeline. Yeah, I know. My first girlfriend did die trying to start a war in Greece. Uh, oh, so God, I'm so very, sorry. I very much bit the bullet there. Yeah. That's sometimes easier to get over, isn't it? Yes. Than, you know, just, oh, they just didn't like me. Uh, It was my looks and personality that were at at fault. You would rather they cease to be. Mm, Yeah. It potentially be anything to do with you. Uh Yeah, exactly. That is exactly what I'm saying. I've never agreed more with anything you've said, Kath, (laughs) that statement. Yeah. And also, you might get left a few thou. Well, are you a 15-year-old boy, Kath? That could be. If you cut your hair short enough, you could look like one. And then he'd be well he'd be well into you. That's that's my <laughs> advice if you want to get Byron into bed. Bit of a cavalier attitude to marriage and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's kind of forgivable because he clearly didn't have the best childhood. Absent father, absent through death. <laughs> you don't get much more absent than dying. I've no, no. Said that. Tough relationship with the mum, sexually abused. If all you do is shag her out a bit, that's fine. But he wrote some great poems. He uh yeah. He went to Greece and tried to help them fight for independence. I'm kind of not surprised you said yes. I had a feeling this mm-hmm. guy seemed like a good egg. And I also kind of admire people who, you know, at a time where it is still uh, difficult to be anywhere on the sort of queer spectrum. It's, uh, it's difficult. But to, at a time when it was not allowed at all, 
I do admire people who are like, no, you know what, I am going to still be who I am. You Absolutely. Know, and not just choose the, the option of, of hiding it and being forever unhappy. It's so inherently unaccepted in society that I wouldn't, like, people don't even talk about it. So you, you're not even allowed to talk about it. And I wonder if that, in a perverse way, makes it almost easier to get away with. It's not like you're in some halfway house where, you know, you could voice it, some people might support you, but then you could get thrown in prison. It's just like, mm. no one's talking about it at all. It's not an option. I'm not saying that's a good thing, necessarily. No. But you do have these people like him. And uh, Frederick was great. I found out recently he was gay and fairly open with it. Oh, good for him. In sort of coded language. But he was very like, don't like women, prefer men. <laughs> and then you just have houses full of men that women couldn't go to and everyone just sort of knew that's what he was into that's it for historical hot or not that's the second person on the biotech baptistry which is jane full we got her on last week didn't we kath we did and now lord byron is on the biotech baptistry hope you enjoyed it the usual spiel tell your friends write a review on if you just do one of these things we'd be happy i reckon yeah you know review and five-star review on your pod app of choice is probably the number one thing mm -hmm. but even just telling your friends if you know people who are either history nerds or horny or both mm -hmm. tell them about historical hot or not we'd love to have more people listening yes take care stay horny <laughs> and remember it's not what's on the outside it's what's on the inside of the coffin that counts stay hard and stay wet <laughs> <laughs> You have been listening to Historical Hot or Not. If you'd like to contribute, we would fucking love that. So you can find us, we're at coffee, buy us a coffee. Uh, don't send it to us personally, it'll be cold by then. Uh, but it's co-b.com forward slash hot not pod. Uh, send us some coffee, not real coffee, send us the money for coffee. Episodes written by Aidan McCaffrey and Catherine Mather. Our wonderful logo is by Richard Todd. And all music by David Eagle. <laughs>